If I haven't gotten to meet you face to face, perhaps this will be a, a brief, but I hope there will be more opportunities to meet you personally. Introduction to myself, I won't give you a whole lot of details, but I will say that I'm here this morning because I know that Christ called me to be his child, his follower. And out of that calling, he then placed upon me a call in my life to preach him, to pastor people to him. And it is my great hope that I will get to do that here with you all, alongside you all. It is a great privilege to know Jesus and to know the hope and life we have in him and to know the love we have from him that we experience with each other. So I thought about what I'd like to preach to you this morning in light of this special occasion and day, and I just decided I want to preach Christ to you and to myself. So if you would open up to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 7, we're going to be looking at Luke 7 verse 36 through 50. If you're following along in the Bibles, they are provided for you in front of you. You'll find this passage on page 864. I will often save things that I think I will use now or things that I think will come into usefulness later. But I also really like to get rid of things. I like to get rid of things that I no longer have any use for. So I, I just kind of like the feeling of getting rid of stuff. I like it when I finish the cereal box and I collapse it and put it in the recycling bin and it's gone. Maybe that's weird about me. I don't know. I like when broken things that can't be fixed are removed from my life. I also like to throw away dirty things. I like to throw away things that get dirty that I either can't clean or as I've learned with kids, young kids growing up, I will not touch in order to clean. So more than one occasion, I can remember throwing a pair of poopy pants in an airport trash can instead of trying to find a way to clean them in an airport restroom. We often discard soiled things. At times, we'll even throw away soiled people. We do that as a culture. Here in Kansas City, you may very well know where the homeless population is, where the prison is, where the people go for rehab. But how many homeless, ex-cons, those recovering or suffering from drug addiction do you actually know? Sometimes our relationships with others just maybe more normal relationships that you have. Sometimes they sour due to hurt feelings or hurtful words. And we leave those friendships behind in the dumpster of the past. One reason we distance ourselves from other people is because whether we like to admit it or not, there's something we may find dirty about them. It might be different from us, and it might be different for each of us. It could be that it's their appearance. It could be their actions. It could be their politics. It could be their poverty. It could be that what they did to us or just who they are, we just can't or won't tolerate Jesus, you know, upset many people because he hung out with dirty people. And look at 
if you look, would look at the passage just before the one we're going to look at today in Luke 7. Look at verse 34 of Luke 7. Luke seven thirty four says this. The son of man, Jesus referring to himself says, has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus knew people would be offended by him precisely because of this, because he was a friend of sinners. Our passage this morning, as we move to verse 36 and following, is going to show us why Jesus did that. Why was Jesus a friend of sinners? He was a friend of sinners because he came to forgive sinners and to save them from their sins. So there are two things this morning that I want to persuade you of. Persuade you as we look together at God's word. Two things to persuade you of. First, Jesus loves to forgive. And then secondly, the forgiven love Jesus. Jesus loves to forgive and the forgiven love Jesus. So let's see how this passage presents Jesus to us and see how it is that he loves to forgive. And to do that, I'm going to read verse 36 to 38, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 48 and 49. And we'll come back to the middle part in just a few minutes. So I'm going to start reading verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, wipe them and wipe them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now skip down to verse 48. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So this man named Simon invites Jesus to have a meal with him. Likely the meal would probably have been in a kind of open part of Simon's residence, maybe like a courtyard Probably showing to us that Simon was likely a wealthy person with the ability to host a big meal like this and the space to do it. And the culture that is described here likely had a kind of open door policy to these occasions, especially since Jesus was a well-known teacher, a rabbi. People would have been welcome to come into that courtyard and not come to the table, but come and stand around the outside walls and participate as they observe and listen in on the conversation at the table. And the people eating, who are invited to the meal, are in the center part, lounging, laying down, heads near the table, feet away, because the feet were considered unclean. It was a mark of fellowship uh, together to get to eat with someone. So that's the scene. And then as the drama starts to unfold, we see a woman enter, walks in. And Luke gives us very few details about this woman. She is a woman. And she seems to have a public reputation as being morally dirty. A sinner. Luke calls her that. Simon, her host, will label her as that. Jesus will even say she has sin. From the way she's described, this woman likely was a prostitute. But I think that Luke is giving us so few details and is careful to do that to keep her identity somewhat ambiguous. 
Maybe it's so we as a reader don't put this woman in a category different from us. And therefore, whatever Jesus has to say or do here doesn't apply to us. The woman enters and deliberately takes her place behind where Jesus is there lounging. And as conversation continues around the table, the woman begins to weep. The tears fall down her cheeks. They fall on Jesus' feet. And so she bends over. She does the culturally inappropriate thing to let down her hair, takes that hair, begins to wipe the tears that have fallen on Jesus' feet with her hair, effectively washing his feet. She had also come with a gift for Jesus, it seems, an expensive bottle of perfume, maybe even earned through her work. And she pours it on Jesus' feet. Now, I realize that there are so many cultural differences between this scene and our life now in 21st 21st century modern Western culture that it may be hard to envision this happening. But there are two things that I think definitely can still ring true with us, even if it's hard to grasp the scene. One is that we all have a category of people in our mind who are sinners. We all do. That might not be the word that we use, but when we see them or when we think about them, we think there's something about them that is wrong, is dirty, that I don't approve of, that's despicable. It's good to be honest about that because we all do it. It could manifest in different ways, different people in life. It could be a drug addict. It could be a Democrat. Could be a Republican, could be a rich person, could be someone who did something to you or someone you love that forever marked them in your mind as lesser. And I think it's good to be honest with this, that we all do this, be honest with ourselves and recognize that we have this category of other people as sinners and own these things, then we'll be able to benefit most from what we're seeing here. In Jesus. Another thing that rings true with us about the scene is how Simon reacts to what this woman's doing. Look again at verse 39. Simon says, when the Pharisee, Simon, who invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. Simon would have never let this woman touch him. In his mind, the best thing a person can do with a sinner like this is to get as far away from them as possible. And this was a fundamental part of his religion. This is what you do to stay morally clean. You keep away from the morally dirty. So while Simon has a very clear category to put this woman into to get distance from her, he clearly also has no category for Jesus. Being a person who can supposedly see, as a prophet, spiritual things that exist if Jesus is, at the same time, going to allow a woman like this to touch him. Now, Jesus knew exactly who this woman was. Imagine the scene again. The woman enters, takes her place at the feet of Jesus. Maybe Jesus doesn't even look up. As the tears fall, maybe Jesus never takes his eyes off Simon. 
As the hair touches his feet and he hears the quiet sobs of the woman, Jesus, unflinching, stays still and allows her to continue and allows the awkward tension of the room build. The awkward tension in Simon's heart build. As if to say, I'm totally okay with this. Are you Simon? Now, the irony of Simon's secret thought that Jesus couldn't be a prophet is that Jesus proves that he is a prophet. Because he reads Simon's mind and because he truly sees the woman. Now, there's a part of this story that we might skip over, but we must not. Why is this woman here in the first place? Why is she weeping? Why is she pouring out her most expensive, precious gift on Jesus? Well, perhaps she'd already interacted with Jesus as so many did in the city as he came and taught and healed, preached the good news of the kingdom and granted forgiveness. Maybe she had come to him and he had addressed her not as a prostitute, but as a person. Maybe he had identified for her that while he saw her public shame, he invited her to give that to him. We don't know, but here she is and she believes in Jesus. Jesus says to her in verse 50, your faith has saved you. So this woman is here weeping and worshiping because she knows who Jesus is. And Jesus has already done something for her. He's a prophet who sees her condition. He's a savior who can take away her shame and her sin. She's walked into the room that day acknowledging all the potential shame and public embarrassment that might come from every other eye in that room as they watch her enter in order to find and thank her savior, Jesus. Her faith is a response to the forgiveness she has likely already received. And Jesus openly owns that she is putting her trust in exactly the right place in himself. He doesn't correct the woman. He validates her tears and her service to him. And then while everyone else is listening, he tells her what her tears express she is already experiencing. He forgives her. He forgives her. Look at verse 49 and the reaction of the people. Who is this that even forgives sins? These people understand what forgiveness is and they understand what sin is. And that's exactly why they ask the question, how could anyone claim to be a person who can forgive sins? Do we understand what sin and forgiveness are? Sin is anything we do, big or small, that is not perfect. And the standard of perfection is a holy God. God made us to reflect who he is in our lives, in our actions, in our words, even in our secret motives, in all we do. And when we do that, we live life as God meant it. And if we could do that fully, we would be doing it in perfection. But... As you know, as I know, none of us do that. Instead, we've all gone the opposite way at times in our life. We've done what is not like God, which is exactly what makes it wrong, whatever it is. 
And we do that because we don't want God to tell us the way to live. We want to make our own way. And that's what makes sin evil. And since only God's way is the only way that leads to life, it's our sin that leads us to death. Death because God is perfectly just and sin brings judgment. The people in the room that day knew that sin was something against God and only God could declare a person forgiven. But they also understood forgiveness. Do you understand forgiveness? When, it, when a person sins, does what is morally wrong in God's eyes, a debt is created. You owe God repayment for that sin, for your injustice. And that debt remains outstanding until either you can pay it or God decides he's going to absorb the debt at cost to himself. Now, we know from the scriptures and from our own lives, the testament of our lives, that there is not any righteousness in us apart from Christ. And no action of ours, once we have sinned, can get us back to moral perfection. We've crossed the threshold never to go back. So us repaying the debt on our part is impossible. It really leaves us with only one hope of being forgiven by God. The choice lies completely in God's hands. Will he absorb the payment? At cost to himself. So the people here watching knew that sin is against God. Only God can forgive sin. And yet they're perplexed about Jesus. Because in Jesus pronouncing the woman forgiven. Jesus is effectively saying. I am God. And I am choosing to absorb the debt of this woman's sin. Now in order for Jesus to say this. And to be true. He would have to be God and he would have to pay for the sins he forgives. The woman came to Jesus believing that he could do what he said. And her faith was not misplaced. And your faith, Christian, in your belief in Jesus Christ to forgive you of every one of your sins is not misplaced. In just a short time from now in Luke's gospel... Jesus will make the payment on the cross to cover the debt he forgave. He would go to a cross. He would give his life to pay for her sins and anyone's sins who repents of their, of their sin and trusts in Christ. There Jesus suffered under the perfect justice of God and he did it so that we who believe in him would not have to. So that instead we could have life in his name. And he did it all with the same unflinching love as when he lounged there that day and welcomed the woman's tears and hair on his feet. Because Jesus loves to forgive. I think this is by far my favorite story of, of, of Jesus' earthly ministry is interaction with people. Part of the reason why I chose to preach it this morning. Here's why. Because I so see myself in this woman. I see my past. I see my shame. 
I see the scandal of my disobedience against God. I, I feel the embarrassment. How, how could I have ever turned my back against such a good and loving creator and God and lived my own way? I see the folly of my choices. I see the death that awaited me if Jesus had not intercepted my life. And I feel greatly the relief and thanks that Jesus didn't let me die. He instead loved to forgive me. Even while I'm sure many other people's perception of me at the time when he saved me was that I was far too gone. I was too far gone to be saved. I wonder if you resonate with that. I hope so. That means you've come to know the Savior for sinners. And I, like many of you, have experienced the heart of our Savior just like this woman did. Friend, if you come fully aware of your sins, Jesus will not turn you away. He knows that when you come to him and trust him to take away your sin, you've come to the only person in the universe, in history, in all time, who can help you with that. And he will be that person. If Jesus loves to forgive, then friend, don't wait any longer to find his forgiveness. And I'm not just talking to the one who has never come. I'm talking to you, Christian. If you are stuck in patterns of sin right now. If you are either proud and have been too proud to humble yourself before him and ask again that by his blood on the cross that he would wash you clean. Or if you have felt overwhelmed with the guilt of your sin and shackled, enslaved to patterns of sin. I'm talking to you too. Jesus loves to forgive. Go to him. Do what the woman does. She's humble. She knows who she is. She knows what she's done. She doesn't need anybody else to tell her. She knows. She doesn't need anybody else to tell her. And she won't let anyone else prohibit her. She knows better than any judgmental eye in the room. She comes to Jesus because she believes that he and he alone can help her, can heal her. And that's all that faith is. A humble trust that Jesus is the answer to what is wrong with us and the world we live in. His perfect life, his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection is the solution for our sin. To believe that, to claim that, to rest in it, to follow him, to rest your life on it, that is faith. So Warner Road Baptist Church, if Jesus loves to forgive, then let his model be our example that we follow in our life. May the Holy Spirit put the heart of Jesus for us in our hearts for other people. And again, Christ's action at first convicts us, doesn't it? Because we know we've got Simon's view of other people in our hearts. There are people we avoid. There are people we look down on. There are people we despise. There are people we belittle. There are people we make fun of. There are people we won't forgive. When we do that, we're effectively saying they owe us something. Something they can't pay. We put ourselves in God's place and unlike God, we withhold grace. God, forgive us for pride and self-righteousness. And he will. If people sin, they sin against God. Just like we have so many times. 
If people owe someone, they owe God, just like we do. If people are going to have any chance of having their debt cleared, it's not going to be our decision, but the mercy of God. Church, guess what? When we see a sinner, we're seeing someone who is more like us than not. When Jesus is alive in us, you'll know it because this will be a place, this place, these people will be a place where sinners find friends. Real friends. Your life will move toward people who are in desperate need of saving and healing. So let's make friends for that reason. To bring each other and to bring sinners outside. Sinners like us to the knowledge of a savior for sinners who forgives Jesus. When you look at others, whether publicly immoral or not, remember, they like us are the people Jesus loves to forgive. That's the first thing. About this passage, the second one is this. The forgiven love Jesus. Let's go back to verse 39. Verse 39. I'm going to read down through verse 47. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Now, denarii was a day's wage for a laborer, so 500 was like a couple years of debt, and 50 was like a couple months. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Another cultural thing going on here is that it was customary when a guest came into your home, you would offer just customary ways of greeting them. So you'd offer them oil, kind of perfume to cover over body odor that existed at the time, no deodorant in those days, a kiss just to show friendship, things that just show welcome. Now, and Simon obviously had not even done the customary, which we'll get to in a second. And the woman, by contrast, had exceeded the customary. She'd gone well above and beyond what was expected. I don't know if Simon realized in the moment that Jesus had just read his mind. Maybe it was all happening too fast. He'd think about it later. But Jesus does and tells Simon the parable. And the parable follows a lender and his choice to forgive. Did you notice the things Jesus chooses to emphasize from that parable for Simon? Clearly the money lender stands for God to whom everyone owes a debt. But Jesus doesn't really spend time there. Nor does Jesus explain how God will cancel the debts we owe through Christ, although that is very key. Simon puts him, uh, Jesus instead wants Simon and us to answer this question for ourselves. How do you know that Jesus has forgiven you? And Jesus' answer, you know when your gratitude for his forgiveness shows in your love for him. That's when you know. When your gratitude for his forgiveness 
shows in your love for him. Simon puts himself in a category completely other, different from the woman. He thinks it's totally appropriate that Jesus should be close to him and share a meal with him. He must think that God has already forgiven him or that his sins are not great enough to come between him and Jesus. Simon assumes he's forgiven, but Jesus challenges that assumption, doesn't he? The proof of forgiveness is a person loving the one who forgives them. And Simon doesn't love Jesus. Sure, he invited him to have a meal. But he did nothing to show his gratitude to Jesus for coming to his house, like a kiss on the cheek. Simon didn't welcome the opportunity to serve Jesus by washing his feet. Simon didn't bless his guests with olive oil as perfume on his head, let alone offer his very best to Jesus like the woman did with perfume. If Simon's actions are an indication of his heart, which they are, and Jesus says they are, Simon does not love Jesus. And if our love is a measure of how much we've been forgiven, then Simon, and maybe you, don't think you need much forgiveness. You know, friends, we love Jesus as much as we feel we need him. We love Jesus as much as we feel we need him. Little love means we have little need. Great love means we feel our great need of him. So do our lives show evident love for Jesus like this woman? What in this woman's humility, her gift, her worship, can you say exists in your heart towards Jesus? If you see similarities, be encouraged. If you see similarities in other people, even this week, take an opportunity to encourage them and say, I see you loving Jesus. That means you know that he's forgiven you. That's a perfectly appropriate and good conversation to have with somebody. To encourage them in their faith and walk with Christ. If you're accepting public shame for Jesus' sake, it's because you know what he's done for you. If you're willing to give what you count most valuable for his worship, then you demonstrate that you understand he gave what was most valuable to him, his own life, for your salvation. But if the similarities aren't there, we need to give some time to be honest and deal with our lack of love for Jesus. If I'm not grateful to God for Jesus in a way that dominates my thoughts and drowns out my complaints about other things, then I've forgotten what I've been forgiven. If you're stingy with your resources, you don't understand that Jesus gave everything to you in generous grace. If we won't forgive another person, it's because we don't love Jesus for forgiving us. In light of eternity... It would be better for us to admit we've stopped loving Jesus or maybe never did than to keep saying we do when we don't. Better to confess there's too much Simon in our hearts than to keep on being like Simon. You and I need Jesus as much as the worst sinner there ever was. When you start to live according to that truth... 
You start to see yourself as you are, and you might even find yourself quickly admitting you might be the worst sinner there ever was. So I want to help us think about how we make this connection between Jesus' forgiveness and our love for Jesus. And I'd like to just give us two evaluative statements. And my aim here would be that if you can remember them, great. If you need to write them down, fine. Some, somewhere to have these close this week or use as a, as a prompt for conversation this afternoon at lunch with other people. Just to help us work through this in our minds and think about our lives and our loves. Here they are, just two. First is this. My love for Jesus is a measure of how much I think I need forgiveness from Jesus. My love for Jesus is a measure of how much I think I need forgiveness from Jesus. That's statement number one. And the second one is very similar. My love for others is a measure of how much I think I need forgiveness from Jesus. My love for others is a measure of how much I think I need forgiveness from Jesus. I hope those will be helpful to you. If you've lost sight of his forgiveness and you're concerned this morning that your diminished love for Jesus shows that, I'd like to just spend the last couple moments with you reminding all of us the reasons we have to be grateful for Jesus. By using the words of Jesus from this passage. I hope this revives or even begins our grateful love for him this week. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. This is what the woman was so desperate to hear. Load up all the burden of all you've ever done that is wrong and selfish and unkind and impatient and angry and untrue. And understand that Jesus accepts all your debts and has placed them on himself at the cross. You may be struggling this morning to even believe that forgiveness can happen. And Jesus says to you, you can trust him to forgive you of every sin you carry. Your sins are forgiven at the cross. And it's Jesus who's done it if you come and lay them there for him to take. Jesus says, in the presence of everyone, your faith has saved you. She's healed. She's rescued. She's saved. She's not lost. She's no longer known by God as a sinner. She is the saved. She is the daughter. She is the one being sanctified. She is the one who is secure and kept. The one who is headed for heaven and life with God. The one who will be kept by his faithfulness along the way. No matter what trial comes. No matter what hardship she endures. No matter shame that she suffers because she follows Jesus. Her faith has saved her. Jesus pronounces this over you child of God over every one of his children no matter your past and no matter your present if your shame if your ruined witness in front of your family or friends is what is keeping you from welcoming Jesus' forgiveness then see that he saves any who are desperate for his healing your heart is healed when you put your faith in Christ and he has done it And Jesus says, go in peace. Jesus' forgiveness fully restores us. 
We don't need to worry about the judgment of others. We are free from feeling shame over the sideways looks we get or the gossip people spread. Jesus makes peace between us and God. And because we have peace with God, we have life with him. Your life is restored. And Jesus has done it. Forgiveness, healing, restoration. These are all the reasons and so many more to love Jesus and love him more. Let me finish. You know, the story closes without us seeing what happened with Simon. Did he heed Jesus' story and lesson? Did he see that he was a sinner with a massive debt in need of a savior? We don't know. And the woman, did the community welcome her as Jesus had? Did they treat her as new and whole and healed? Did they help her in her faith? We don't know. What will be your response? Will you trust Christ for forgiveness and gratefully love and serve him because he saves you? What will be our response, church? Will we as God's people welcome the sinner, extend forgiveness to each and every one? Will we involve ourselves in the life of those who are spiritually needy in order to bring them the Jesus they need most? Well, that will all depend on if Christ has forgiven us and if we love Jesus. Let's pray. And so, Heavenly Father, Send your spirit now to apply the word that you've opened for our eyes, our ears, our minds, and our hearts. Keep Jesus front and center in all those places, even as we go. Keep Jesus foremost in our conversations, in our actions, in our motives. Oh God, please keep a fresh reminder in our life day by day this week of the forgiveness we've received through the love of Christ so that we might respond in true love for him and love for each other. And by that, we pray Christ will be exalted, Christ glorified, Christ proclaimed, Christ delighted in, Christ adored, and Christ formed in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.